Yeah, yeah no issues. Yeah. We are about to go live. <clears throat> This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for What in the World with Paul Siebert and his sidekick, John Danalo. And it's being brought to you by Yes, I Can Coaching with Karen. And so if you want to know more about that, that's in the show notes. And I want everybody to know, we all went to rehearsal today. Well, yeah, yeah, how about yes, that? We, that was... Uh, we're a, we're a well-tuned machine, a fine-tuned machine. We certainly are. <laughs> wow! Again, a low bar for this show, but we'll take we'll it. <laughs> uh, Paul, you're so, brutally honest. There you go. There you go. Wow, Karen Hale, what a great introduction! Thank you so much for that. Yes, indeed, you are tuned in to What in the World with me, your host, Paul Seaburn. Uh, what in the world? Real news, sometimes strange, always funny. That's our motto. We are your weekly news, weird news show. We like to bring you the strange, the unusual, the paranormal, the fun, but always with a funny twist to it. That's our that's our goal. Uh, you come, you, the the stories you hear here more often than not you don't hear in the mainstream media. And we love that because we like to beat the mainstream media whenever we can. We've got some stories that, that the mainstream media wasn't covering that we've got here today. So tune in for those. Uh, um, let's see, I introduced our, uh, our media mogul, uh, Karen Hale. She is our producer and co-host on What in the World. She has a number of great podcasts uh, in addition to What in the World, on her site, newclevelandradio.net. So check that out. Find out how to download us uh, either on Spotify or on your other podcasting platforms or come and visit us on YouTube. We like to plug that I occasionally. I, I shouldn't say occasionally. I normally have at least one photo to go with the story. So it's always nice. We, you know, we'll, we'll describe them for you if you're listening to us while you're out uh, exercising or uh sitting sitting at home doing nothing our listeners probably the, the latter uh but anyways the <laughs> the um so 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 please visit us on youtube follow us like us do all that other good stuff um the other voice in your ear is uh, john Dinello, our co-host color commentator uh and the host of what in the world of sport with john Dinello. hey john how are you I'm pretty well, Paul and Karen. And uh, hey, it's a new week. It's Tuesday, and um, I think we had a great show lined up. I lost the sound. Sound faded out there for a second, but I, I'm sure John said something really complimentary about me then. So I'll just. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, kind of comes with the territory. He said yeah, he right. has a box of chocolates for you for Valentine's Day. Oh, go the yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're well, dear to my heart, Paul. Dear to my heart. There you go. Uh, thank you, John. I appreciate that. John and I have known each other for a long time. That's how we can get away with some of the things we say on this show. So uh, <laughs> As, what do we have? I don't even, you know, so many things are happening. It was such a big weekend with the Super Bowl. We're going to be talking about some Super Bowl stories you may not have heard about in the stream media. You're going to hear about them today on What in the World. Uh, so we've got that to talk about. We've got some um, uh, a tall 
this is this is another uh, story for John. A tall walking hazard was seen at a women's professional golf tournament in Kenya. So we're going to be talking about that really strange tournament. Um, a lost tower, a lost radio tower in Alabama. It was a big story this week. A wooden tower in France that made the news. And erector towers. John and I are, are part of the erector set generation. Of course. We're going to talk a little bit about that and how it relates to the stories of this week. Living dinosaurs in England, Michigan, and Texas. Uh, wait till you hear this. I've got some personal, this is a personal story for me as well. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, underwear for your garden. Ooh, that's very, very popular. <laughs> story. Yeah, I know. That sounds like a porn movie. Uh, <laughs> underwear in the garden. Uh, and, uh, and why you shouldn't make fun of balloon animals. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, balloon animals and 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 their benefit to society. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. All right. I know. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> what can I say? Plus, we've got some more odd news. We've got some world records. We've got trivia. Um, uh, John's got a great sport, unusual sport for us this week. And of course, as always, we finish the, the show with Bluff the Co-host, everybody's favorite weird news show. So, um, my voice sounds a little raspier than normal because I'm recovering from a bit of raspiness. Um, I'm going to take a drink of water right now, and then let's see if we can get right to our stories. Okay, sounds good. All right. I may even clear my throat. Be ready. <coughs> okay, wow. I hope that didn't blow out anybody's earbud. <laughs> <coughs> oh, geez. I apologize for that, everybody. I can't turn my microphone off because it's too far away. Oh, wait. Today is Fat Tuesday, or as we call it in Cleveland, Tuesday. Um, it's, the <laughs> it's the day before Ash Wednesday, or as uh, John and I have a good friend by the name of Gus used to call it Hash Wednesday for another for a reason you can probably figure out yourself. <laughs> This is this is uh, Shrove Tuesday for the Catholics out there, uh, the day before Ash Wednesday, which means the last day to party before the, the Lenten fasting season begins, which means that all of us good Catholics were busy gorging ourselves today on punchkis. John, did you have a punchki today? No, but we had some eclairs that were left over from the Super Bowl party. So, uh, uh -huh. and we've had some cookies and so forth. So, uh, yeah, before, uh, before, uh, tomorrow, obviously, you know, whatever we have, we're pretty much going to have a chance to, to consume. So, well, uh, the, yeah, if you close your eyes, you, the, uh, an eclair is close to a punch key, um, put some powder <laughs> sugar on it. So for, for those not, for those not in the know, a punch key is a giant jelly, uh, or, or cream filled donut covered with powdered sugar deliciously disgusting as i like to describe it uh, <laughs> especially if there's if the filling is 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 immediately gushing out into your hand with the first and every bite uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so um uh so yes i of course uh, we had some delivered from um uh, our favorite uh, punchki uh, establishment <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, there are punchki establishments in Cleveland. Right. Yeah, they have punchkis all year round, not just in um, on on Fat Tuesday. But anyways, um, so 
um, what I had a point here. Oh yeah. So, so that's what we're, that's what everybody's doing. You're covered in, in uh, <coughs> excuse me. Powdered sugar. <coughs> covered in punchki dust today. <laughs> this, this that that's what I'm coughing at. Not punchki dust. Um, Super Bowl was this weekend, this past Sunday. Um, we're not going to talk about the scores, who won, who lost, or or the the, the celebrities who were there. Um, but we've got some news that wasn't covered as well uh, by the mainstream media as it should have been. So we're going to take the take the responsibility for that. Um, you know, the um, um, uh, I made some notes on my paper here that I, now I can't read here. So um, <laughs> there were some there were some wild people at the um, uh, at the Super Bowl. None wilder than a former Clevelander. And I want to put his picture up here. John, I know, knows who we're talking about. I'm sure Karen does as well. Former Clevelander by the name of Travis Kelsey. Oh, yes. <clears throat> no. Yeah, Travis got a lot of attention because of his girlfriend this weekend. But that particular photo right there is a picture of Travis yelling at his coach. Uh, somewhere that was what about in the second quarter, I believe, John. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Paul. Yeah. Now, this is a typical, this is typical in Cleveland, okay? This is how you can tell that Travis Kelsey grew up in Cleveland. This is the way we Clevelanders talk to our boss when we want to raise. You know, <laughs> Do we really? Okay. Yeah. So you so you could tell from that from, from that instance right there that, that Travis is a um, is a Cleveland boy. Um <clears throat> The uh, uh, <coughs> he, he and his brother, what's his brother's name, John? Jason. Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelly. They, Kelsey. That's Kelsey right. They were Cleveland Heights High School. So uh, you've seen these guys. I think I have a photo of the two of them together. Okay, they look like your typical Cleveland guy. They don't look like football players. They look like the kind of guys that are at Cleveland Stadium on Sunday, not on the field. But in the dog pound, it's, <laughs> it's a good comparison, Paul, for sure. Exactly. 10 degrees below zero, John. No shirts on. They're painted from, from the top of their heads to their waist in orange paint. Their <laughs> beer, beer bellies probably have uh, some brand of beer painted on them as well. <laughs> Screaming their heads off. They, they are true Clevelanders. That's what they would be doing. Um now I want to tip my hat to Travis because he has he is dating so far out of his league, it's not even funny. <laughs> He's a Cleveland boy, okay? There are no offense, Cleveland ladies. There aren't too many Taylor Swifts in Cleveland. You are correct. Look at her. Now I'm not gonna put a picture up of her, but if you think about it, she doesn't look like she's ever had a job where at the end of her shift. Before she could go home, she had to yell, okay, last call for beer and pierogies. <laughs> right? Sure. You're right. <laughs> she is right. She is not a Cleveland girl. That's that's so so Travis is definitely dating far above his uh his his uh uh target range there. God bless him. Good for him. Um the um so the the first thing I want to talk about that wasn't covered at the at the Super Bowl was uh, UFOs. 
Now, this is the first time, the first merger of the Super Bowl and the paranormal. Um, this was um, um, this happened during a commercial. Uh, we were talking about the commercials before uh, before the show began here. So this was a commercial. Might have been a, in the third quarter already when this commercial ran. Martin Scorsese, Scorsese the director, was a, was the star of it, and he's watching a video uh, of of a movie made by aliens called "Hello Down There." Do you remember that, John? You know, I did catch that, but I wasn't able to get the whole effect of it. So I'm glad that you brought that to my attention. Yeah, yeah. So, so the premise the premise here is that extraterrestrials have landed on Earth. <coughs> Excuse me. They're trying to get our attention, but they can't. And the reason why they can't is because we're too busy looking at our phones and our iPads, which <laughs> is what Scorsese is doing right here. The... Um, so they're, they're thinking, this is why we never see aliens is because we're busy looking at our iPad. I don't buy that because, um, you know, people are definitely looking at their cell phones, but they're also using them to take selfies. And aliens are just like humans. They would be photobombing every photo. That <laughs> and we'd see them half the time, right, John? Yeah, yes, yes. You know, so yeah. there is some there is some validity to all this, Paul, for sure. So, so, um, so we should have been photobombed to death by these aliens. So, so this is the first time for an alien appearance in the Super Bowl, unless you count Terry Bradshaw, who some people think is from another planet. <laughs> oh, that's a very good one, Paul. Yeah. So, so to get, to, so to get the humans' attention in this in this uh, commercial, the aliens create a website with Squarespace, <clears throat> a website tool. Now. These are these are beings that have traveled hundreds of light years across space to arrive at Earth, and then they can't figure out how to make their own website. They have to use Squareface, Squarespace. I don't buy that either. But you know, Martin Scorsese, he's an Academy Award-winning director. He knows what he's doing. I guess. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So. Um, you know, if aliens really are baffled by our, that baffled by our technology, what we should do, alien comes up to you, show them your phone and have them play Wordle. And boy, they'll be mystified. They'll be, they'll be tied <laughs> up for weeks playing Wordle. So anyway, so uh, Martin Scorsese, this was his commercial. Uh, he makes a cameo at the end and um, he's stuck in traffic in New York City and uh, during an alien invasion. And he, and he says to the cab driver, I told you to take Broadway. This always happens. Um, implying that, I guess, there's no aliens on Broadway to, to block traffic, which I don't buy that either. He's never seen the, 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 the play Little Shop of Horrors, which had Audrey, too, who was an alien plant from another Right, planet. right. That's right, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Or cats. You know, I think some of those cats were from another planet, but that's a different story. <laughs> The other thing is, if this is a De Niro, I mean, if this is a uh, Scorsese production, where was De Niro? Yeah, that's a good question. You would think that he would be somehow, he would surface somewhere. He's right? in all of his uh, his stuff. Yeah. Some, you know, some my, of his films, sure. <clears throat> my theory is that um, De Niro is holding out. He wants to play Bigfoot in the next commercial. Uh, or, or, or maybe he wants to fight Bigfoot, you know, like 
He has Raging, high aspirations, Paul and Karen. Yeah. He's Raging there. Bull versus Bigfoot would be the name of that yeah, movie. There you go. All right. So that was story number one. Story number two. John, something has happened in three out of the four times that uh, Kansas City has appeared in the Super Bowl recently. What is it? You know, I know this, and now, unfortunately, I have forgotten it. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. I'll tell you. I, I know I, I won't even ask Karen. The answer is there were streakers at the game. Believe it or not, every time, almost every time Kansas City plays in the Super Bowl, someone streaks the game. So, now, again, I don't know if, if um, not everybody was aware of this because they didn't show them, but there were actually two streakers during the Kansas City um San Francisco game on Sunday. Now didn't they say they said on the TV they were partial streakers. Right, right. What did we'll that mean? That <laughs> we'll get to that. I, that's a very good question. That's the other reason why I wanted to bring up this story. So this happened in the third quarter. Um it was third down. The Chiefs were in uh San, uh, in San Francisco territory. They were going uh, for a third down, and one of the streakers ran across the field, made it all the way to the San Francisco 49ers sideline, where he was subdued, as they say. Here's a picture of him being subdued. So you can see him laying on the ground, another guy over him. The second streaker was tackled by a team, a team of security staffers near the 10-yard line in the Chiefs end zone at the other end of the field. That would be this this gentleman right here. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was such a good tackle that the security guy made that the, the Chiefs actually offered him a half-game contract to play <laughs> till the end. You know, they, they, their defense wasn't doing so hot for a while. So, wow. so the game is still going on. This is why they didn't cut away. The referee stated that because the streakers did not impact the play, which was a two-yard completion from May Holmes to uh, receiver uh, Hardman was the, the receiver, but it was short of the of the first down, so it was fourth down. So they ended up uh, kicking the field goal. That was the one that the fifty-seven yard record field goal right. that right. put the score at ten to six. So there were a lot of things going on that called attention away from the streaker, which is why we're talking about it. Uh, so. None of the very little of this, the, no photos of the streakers made it to the air, but we just looked at two of the field photos. Uh, but you know, if you think about it, you know what would have happened if you remember the, the greatest streaking incident in the history of the Super Bowl was the famous Nipplegate when Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson were, were singing, and Justin Timberlake found Janet Jackson's bra to expose her breast that had a star over the nipple. And we're still talking about it 20 years later, like it's the biggest <laughs> scandal in history. Yeah. So a, a, a streaker, a naked streaker at the Super Bowl, we'd be talking about it for the next 100 years. Uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> Karen, you are 100% correct. Tony Romo, CBS uh, color commentator, not as good as our color commentator, by the way, um, Thanks for the Tony plug, guys. Romo, appreciate it. <laughs> Tony Romo said that um, there was a partial streaker on the field, as Karen right. pointed out. I checked the rule book, and the rule book on streaking states, unless you're 100% naked, 
you cannot be called a streaker. I would say the same thing. <laughs> I would agree with that. That's, I think, by definition. Yes, by definition. Like being partially pregnant. You're either <laughs> naked or you're not. That's it. Sure. Uh, so Sunday night marked the third time in history that the Chiefs, in the last four Super Bowl appearances by the Chiefs, that a streaker has run onto the field. I didn't know this. Okay. So this is one. <clears throat> in... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me in, in 2022 in 2020 when the chiefs beat the 49ers in super bowl 54 this happened now uh, all i have is her mugshot this is instagram model kelly k she ran onto the field and was caught by security before she could take her clothes off again according to the rules not a streaker according to viewers a big disappointment I hate to be, <laughs> I hate to be a sexist, but you know that's what people are looking for. If they're looking for a streaker, they're looking they would prefer a female streaker. I think both men and women would agree that they'd rather see a female than a male. And this is yes. a very pretty lady. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, sure. so here's your mug. <clears throat> now, the uh, at Super Bowl Fifty Five, which was in Tampa in 2021, when the Chiefs played the Buccaneers and lost. Um, uh, Florida native Yuri Andrade, <coughs> excuse me, put, put on some spandex. I'm going to put the photo up while I have a drink of water here so you can see him. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I knew you'd like that, Karen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so this guy, this guy, a fairly well-built gentleman, he's wearing a pink spandex um Thong contraption. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's the best I can call it. Doesn't show <laughs> a whole lot. And, and and I think we're grateful of that. Uh, so he and it's promoting an X-rated uh, uh, internet channel. So uh, so he, he started running across the field and naturally they tackled him and hauled him off. I'm not going to show you any more pictures of him. Uh, again, not a streaker, according to the rules. So um, but I didn't know. So now I didn't know that the Chiefs were so so associated with streakers. So John, this is it. This is the reason why we want the Chiefs back in the Super Bowl on a regular basis to see more streakers. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a connection there, obviously. Yeah. That's right. So streaking, um, by definition, refers to running naked in public, uh, usually at a college. Believe it or not. By that, <coughs> excuse me. By that definition, streaking at colleges began in 1804. 1804. Wow. Yeah. For in the United States, of course, a, uh, at Washington College, which is now Washington and Lee University, where senior George William Crump was arrested for streaking through Lexington, Virginia, where the university is located. Get a load of this. This is the best part. Crump was suspended for the academic session, but later went on to become a U.S. congressman. Of course. Yes. <laughs> Makes sense. Wow. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Okay. In, so, so that takes us to the, the heyday of streaking. When John and I were in college together, 
in the night in the early 1970s. So in June of 1973, the the media, mainstream media, reported on streak a streaking trend at Michigan State University in Lansing, Michigan, right up the road from us. Okay, so it starts to move down into Ohio. In December of 73, a graduate of Carleton College in Minnesota uh, wrote that the term streaking was coined because, this is a Minnesota definition, nude students ran primarily during the winter months of January and February. Wait, and unless one appeared as a streak against the landscape, the Minnesota winter was triumphant and the streaker became a statue. So, <laughs> so that's their definition of streaking. So wow. 1974 was the peak year for streaking on U.S. college campuses, including John Carroll University, where John and I are proud graduates of. However, I looked everywhere, John, and I could not find records of streaking um, going on on campus while we were there. But I know that it, it happened. Well, I I remember for certain that uh, that was a that was a trend for several weeks actually, or even yeah. several months. Um, yeah, it was like a big deal. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. It was a big deal. Big deal, especially especially a big deal for uh, horny fraternity brothers uh, <laughs> <laughs> with few chances yeah. of dating. Let's put it that way. So uh, the uh, but I did find another one at Oberlin College. Now, Oberlin College is a very prestigious university to this day, one of the most liberal colleges in the United States, Um, well-known for their music program, their jazz program. Uh, They had streakers, and I'm going to show you the uh, the news article right here. This is from the Oberlin uh, Register. uh, (laughs) A review, yeah. Yeah, review, yeah. so it, uh, this is the college paper, and up on the left-hand side, big headline, Streakers Here, shows a picture of a man and a woman, uh, tastefully angled, so you don't really see anything, but they are naked. Uh, and the article points out that uh, streak, it warns streakers that uh, it's punishable by 30 days in jail or a $250 fine. Now, that's a, that's a heck of a punishment for running naked across a college campus. 30 days in jail. So, um, but to point out how, how different times were, I want to direct your attention uh, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, and I'm going to direct everybody else's attention to uh, an article I will uh, describe on the right-hand side. On the right-hand side, this is 1974, Oberlin College, uh, the, the, the conference that they're in, the Ohio Athletic Conference, is asking Oberlin, to ban women from competing in college sports. Today, it's really odd. Yeah, today, <laughs> women's, women's sports is probably making, outside of football and, and basketball, more money than, than most men's sports. Sure. So unbelievable that, that not that long ago they were banning women's sports. Yeah. It's a strange headline. I know, I know. I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, so there we go. Streaking at the Super Bowl, only here on what in what, what, what in the world? What, what's the name of the show again? What in the world <laughs> with Paul world. Seaburn? There you go. All right. Uh, okay. Here's something that didn't happen at Super Bowl, but I bet you it's going to happen one of these days. As soon as it's held in Kenya, <laughs> the 
the uh, magical Kenya Ladies Open European Golf Tournament was held this weekend in Kenya. And just as the leaders came on to the 18th green, the 18th fairway, for the final dramatic shot, this happened. A family of giraffes walked onto the hole. Wow. Not just two like we have here, a whole family of them. They're, they're wandering around. They're chasing fans. They're eating leaves off the trees and basically <laughs> shut down the tournament for a while because this is on a, on a nature preserve. So the giraffes have priority over the humans. They, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, here's another photo of them here. Look at that. They're all over the place. Wow. Um, yeah. This, 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 this the one player is trying to play through and they're on the putting green. So she can't put. Yeah. Yeah. This is, they're walking along the green with them. You know, the, yeah. The mother and, and baby giraffe here. Um, so well, the um, players look comfortable walking that close to them too. Uh, uh, it turns out, I didn't realize this uh, once I looked deeper into the story, it turns out that, that they host this tournament annually and it's well known for having the draft here. But this is the first time that, that they've really made a big deal out of it and, and uh, they actually stopped it on the 18th hole very timely. In fact, they make such a big deal out of it. Here's the winner, uh, uh, player. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tan and Tan. The, the trophy is the head of a giraffe. So, oh. you know, obviously tastefully done in brass yeah. or whatever metal that is. Um, <laughs> so since it's on a wildlife preserve, the giraffes are allowed, but like in all other tournaments, no cheetahs. <laughs> ah, right. Very good. Very that good. <laughs> well, that was all right. That was okay. No cheetahs. Only course where instead of yelling four, the players must do the Tarzan yell. <laughs> Let people know. Okay. Got John Daly, the famous men's uh, golfer, played there once, and he quit drinking for a month after that. So uh, <laughs> that, that's for the for the golfers out there who know who John Daly is. And I'm not going to explain it to everybody else. We'll move on to the next story. Police in Jasper, Alabama. Oh, I love this story. This, they're looking for a 200-foot AM radio tower, which was stolen overnight from the WJLX radio station. Here's a picture of it before it was stolen. 200 foot and not, not knocked down. It's standing up in the air. It was being used. People in the town knew that uh, in Jasper, they knew that the radio tower was gone because all of a sudden nobody was arguing about politics or sports because no AM radio talk shows. Uh, how do you steal a 200-foot tower, you may be asking? Yes, I'm, I'm just, like, confused. Explain. <laughs> it's easy. It's just like Martin Scorsese said. We're all looking at our cell phones. Nobody was paying attention. And people <laughs> just <laughs> walked in and stole it. Nobody knows. <clears throat> it's amazing. Nobody knows. The um, um, And then where do you sell it? You once you once you cut it down and you somehow get it to where, where do you go? Do you go to a pawn shop? You know, yeah, is there like a black market for a radio tower? Black market for radio towers. Yeah, good one, John. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, oh, what, what, <laughs> is that is that a radio tower you're trying to sell? No, no, no. It's a it's an antique clothes dryer. My mom used to have <laughs> Oh my gosh. Or I thought of this excuse that I would try. I made it. 
out of a myself out of a hundred erector sets. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I was thinking maybe John and I are the only people that care and are the only people who remember erector sets. You John did you them well, Paul. Yeah, we oh we, me and my brothers would, would play with the erector set for sure. Oh, that's right. You had brothers, that's right. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. We 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 did a lot with those. They, they, they were fun. They're fun to work with. Yeah. They are. They are. I had one as well. I was not as mechanically inclined, so I believe it's still in the original box and may still be in the original plastic. So it's <laughs> worth, worth something. I mean, when you look at this thing, it I can't imagine taking it down, but they yeah. meant that they had to take it down fairly quickly for people yeah. not to notice it. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. It's baffling, baffling. Everybody in Jasper and, and all the other places around there are baffled as to how this happened. Um, there were lines connected to it. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. There was just no one there. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's yeah. AM range. You know, it pretty much operates itself. So, um, so anyways, I, I did some research on a rector set. The rector set actually date back to 1911. Uh, a guy by the name of Alfred... Carlton Gilbert uh, was riding on a train one day didn't, to New York City. <coughs> Excuse me, to New York City. And he's looking out the window and he's seeing uh, workers tear, tearing down tracks and putting up new tracks to convert the trains to electric power. And he's watching girders going up and all this stuff. And he thought, boy, I bet you that'd be a fun toy for kids. So the guy is, is a magician and he makes magic tricks. So he's not even he's not even in the toy business per se, but he uses that knowledge to build the first erector set uh, called the <coughs> excuse me the erector structural seal and electromechanical builder kit, which he labeled as educational, instructive, and amusing. Now here's here's a picture of the first kit here. It doesn't look very amusing to me. It looks like hard work. Yeah, really. Yeah, that does. Yeah, a lot of gears and screws and and books you got to read and uh, all kind of stuff here. But anyways, you end up with with cool stuff like this. Wow. Yeah, uh, pictures of, of things that people built with erector sets, like especially towers. You know, I think that's the thing that I uh, that I yeah right for. yeah. So um, so they went they went on sale in 1913. It was booming for a while, and then. Uh, you know, kids lost interest in it, and and that was it. I I growing up with two sisters, my sisters were baffled why anybody would want to play like this. You know, it's like it's like getting a Barbie and having to assemble it. Why would I do? That? <laughs> I used to love watching my brother with put things together. Watching your brother put things well, together. Well, hey, <laughs> I'm I'm much younger than my brothers, so they probably wouldn't have let me get close. Oh, but, I see. Okay. But I remember they they build a Ferris wheel, and oh, you know, yeah. So, yeah, that's neat. Yeah, uh, mechanical. They were both the uh, AC. They, you could you could use AC power or or batteries. You know, it was a it was a really a cool um, a cool thing. But you think about it, you know what? <laughs> to equate it to Barbie, you know, kids do. Would girls really want to build their own Barbie? Would they want to build their own Barbie dream house? And if they did, how would the movie have been different if if girls were building Barbie's dream house instead of buying it off the shelf? I don't know. Uh, let's move on because it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so speaking of towers, this was a very popular story on Facebook. A uh, French guy, Richard Plowd is his name, spent eight years building a 23-foot replica of the Eiffel Tower, 20-foot tall, 23-foot wow. replica, out of matchsticks. Uh, and he submitted it to the Guinness World Record people, and they turned him down because he used the wrong matchsticks. Talk about disappointment. Wrong matchsticks. And yeah. you know, right or wrong. Well, here, well, here's what happened. Um, no, a, you know, it's um, um, he appealed and uh, they reversed the decision um, and, and awarded it to him because because so many people were protesting. Number one, you know, it takes a long time to to uh, <clears throat> it took him eight years to build it. Wow. You know, it, you know, this is in France where there's a lot of cigarette smokers. It only took about six months to light 700,000 cigarettes with wood <laughs> But there, therein lies the problem. He did not light his own matches. What he did was he went to a local matchstick company who knew those still existed, and he asked them to sell him matches without the, the match head on it. So he didn't uh. have to do the striking. And that's what got the, the Guinness people upset. But enough people protested. They gave him the award anyways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like streaking. If it doesn't have a head, it's, <laughs> is it a match? No, it's not a match. It's a stick. So if he built a, a, a tower out of sticks, he would have got the record. But to say that it was out of matchstick, technically speaking, not a record. But, uh-huh. He typically he whined enough that uh, they gave yeah. it to him. Oh, okay. I see that. Wow. I'm I'm surprised, John, that the judges even knew what a matchstick was. Had he built it out of vape pens, they would have been all excited. But uh, <laughs> right, who uses matchsticks anymore? Yeah, no kidding. Something fast yeah. in a respect. Now here's a here's a this isn't a world record, but it's still pretty interesting. This is a farmer in uh, uh, Asia. He gets perfect sweet watermelons, and here's how he does it. He hangs them in women's underwear uh, on on his fence. So here's a picture of a melon growing inside of a very fancy lace thong. Karen's probably got a whole wardrobe. Oh, yeah, a whole wardrobe of those, yeah. (laughs) (coughs) uh, So he says that uh, that hanging them in the lace panties makes the green on the watermelon skin more uniform and keeps them off the wet ground where they can't rot, which is even the, the most amazing part of all that is that his wife actually believes that that's why he's buying these things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and he also, here's another one, John. Oh, Look God. <laughs> he also, he started growing his cucumber directly underneath the panty and they, they've been pointing straight up lately. <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the horn on that one. That's a good one. Yeah. So our local our local grocery store chain, Giant Eagle, has started carrying these um, in a special special section they call the uh, Veggie Secret. Um, ah, hey. This is the kind of thing that drives women crazy because that's exactly what's going to happen. This is going to get popular. Uh, home home stores and gardening centers are going to start selling women's underwear specifically to be used in the garden. And it's going to cost half as much as women have to pay for it at the store. 
Right, Karen? Isn't that what happens? Yep, you're right. Yep. So, and the sizes, you know, the sizes will be small, medium, large, Kardashian, J-Lo, Serena Williams. I didn't want to go any further than that because we don't want to do any body shaming on the show. And they're beautiful panties, uh, in my <laughs> humble opinion. Okay, a couple of personal interest stories from me. So this one, this is another very popular story on Facebook. British dog walker Denise Chamberlain is out walking in, uh, around a, a pond. They call him a tarn in England. And she saw this creature. This is a non-native, never, never been seen in England, uh, alligator snapping turtle. Doesn't belong in England at all. She's terrified that it's going to eat her dog or eat, eat, you know, sheep or whatever else, uh, a little kid. So she catches it. She uses a shopping cart and she had three pairs of builder's gloves on her hand. And she went and she captured it. Uh, so now they took it to a vet. She took it to a vet and they're trying to find a home for it and also find out where it came from. You know, and my, that's my question. Did, was this somebody's pet that escaped or my theory? King Charles was restocking the moat and he put Prince Andrew in charge. And oh, no. Find some good stuff to put in there. And, you know, Andrew, he's terrified that people are going to find out more about whatever it is he's going at. So he thought, oh, you know, nobody's going to cross the moat with these things in it. Wow. You better believe it. That's quite a creature. Yeah. Scariest very, looking thing. Very menacing looking creature. Very, very creative. Menacing. Yes. Yeah. Now, I um. I, I have a, an affection for turtles because uh, those were about the, about the only pets my, my parents ever let us have. We probably had 30 turtles um, overall between myself and my sister that we know of. You know, we may have had more or less. They would, you never know when a turtle's alive or dead. You know, five days later, they're still not moving around, but they stood, could still be alive. Um, I never saw a snapping turtle, though, until I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And... Um, we were, we were driving down a, a, a road in the wintertime, in the winter, and there's this thing crossing the road, looked like an overturned garbage can. It was a snapping turtle. We pulled over and looked at it. <clears throat> Huge, massive snapping turtle. So I want to get it out of the road. I don't want it to get run over. I'm thinking, oh, how dangerous can it be? I tried, I grabbed what I thought was the rear end of this snapping turtle and uh, what looked like a giant sandworm from, from the movie Dune comes out the other end and takes <laughs> my head off. This is, this is a, a, a picture of a, of a, uh, the, the kind oh, of, wow. Wow. Oh, they're, they're unbelievably, the, the necks are unbelievably long. Um, so I ended up, I, I had a, an ice scraper, like a wooden ice scraper in my car and I, I used it to push the turtle to the edge of the road and, and pointed towards a, a creek that that I, I assumed it came from. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Next time I saw one, not in Ann Arbor, Michigan, believe it or not, in Houston, Texas, again, walking across a busy freeway, not a highway. This was an eight-lane highway in northern uh, Houston. Very busy highway, FM 1960, one of the busiest streets in the city. And here's a snapping turtle. I see it in front of my car. So again, Don and I pull over. 
Uh, again, I'm in Houston. There's no ice scraper in my car. There's no right. need for scrapers. <laughs> I found <laughs> something. I might have had a shovel or something, and I kind of shoved it to the end of the edge of the street towards the Biden, where it came from. And, wow. and after that, I started carrying a box and uh, a shovel or a stick or something. And I must have rescued six snapping turtles in the time we lived in Houston. Wow. Um, yeah, they just ended up, um, um, including one a block away from our house. We had a little creek that ran through our subdivision, and um, I actually rescued one around the house. So, uh, you know, that one, I was going to go get my dog. I thought maybe my dog could help me. I've got a Rottweiler, you know, a 100-pound Rottweiler. That dog looks at me, and he says, you're on your own. I saw Dune. I know what you're going to do. <laughs> so that was the end of that. Now, Boy. the other one, this is this is our, our, our wrap-up story here. World's largest balloon sculpture. This is this was unbelievable. This is in a mall in Japan. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in Hong Kong. This is a mall in Hong Kong. The Guinness World Record officials measured this. This is a 137-foot-long balloon uh, dragon. So it's a dragon made of... Uh, I think 38,000 biodegradable inflated rubber balloons. Wow. The uh, 137 feet, that's, that's longer than two bowling alleys end to end. Um, wow. Balloons were assembled by 60 people, uh, balloon experts and students who were working for them. And the, um, the dragon is on display until the end of the month, which the people at the mall are happy because as long as the, the, this giant balloon sculpture is there, the sporting goods stores are not allowed to be open because they can't sell any bows and arrows and <laughs> knitting stores, you know, knitting needles. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, wow. Now, you know, unbelievable. Most most American tourists they, you know, the, that are there, the only thing they've ever seen is a balloon poodle or, or you know, some of the balloon animals that they made, the clowns make in the United States. That's and that people associate balloon animals with clowns. Uh, the first person to make a balloon animal, believe it or not, was a guy by the name of Hubert Herman Bonnert in Pennsylvania. Another magician. We had another magician story here. 1939, he became the first balloon twister when he figured out how to twist balloons and displayed it at a magician's convention. So the uh, the balloons that they normally lose, use are those big, long, skinny ones that are... Um, uh, two inches in diameter, and they can and be inflate to 60, 60 inches, which is five feet long. That's a mm -hmm. long balloon. Yeah, a long balloon. And, um, you know, most the, most people think of them, that the, the, I have a picture of them here, you know, they make a sword or, uh, uh, you know, something easy. I used to do this. I tried this one. I was really good at this. I was good at was good at at snake skins, you know, with the, the skin oh, that yeah. came off. I was good. Um, I was good at snakes that got caught by snapping turtles. Um, <laughs> snake yeah, snake turtles gets around that snapping turtle. Yeah. <laughs> so I love this story <clears throat> because while I was in Houston, I worked for a mag. Now here's here's the typical balloon animals that that most people right. are associated. with. These are, the, the, it's actually a, an art. It's an art and a craft uh, when, the, when it's done well. 
And I worked for a magazine called Young Entrepreneurs. And I used to interview uh, kids in grade school and high school that had really fun jobs that they started themselves. I, I interviewed kids that were making six figures while they were in high school. Wow. So this, this particular young girl was uh, uh, in Houston and uh, she was in grade school. And she was a balloon twister. I thought, well, how much money can she make? I talked to her mother. Her mother said, you know, she wanted to, to babysit. And I said, well, let's try this first. So she would take her bag of balloons and she would go to a Mexican restaurant. And um, she'd go from table to table and she would ask for donations to make a balloon animal. Instead, she didn't have a set fee. A smart little girl. People would end, you know, if she said, uh, five bucks and if uh, you know all the ad was at 10 they'd want change if she said i'll take a donation and all have is a 10 they'll give her a 10 she said she made like three times as much as she would make babysitting plus they always got at least the free dinner for both of them often coupons and other things because they were so entertaining <laughs> wow i thought that was the coolest thing you know sure. <clears throat> be careful when you make fun of things because there's always a story behind it, and uh, there's a story behind balloon twisting. Uh, it has a it has a fabulous history in uh, the magic world, and it could be a great job. John, good retirement job for you, maybe. Maybe I should <laughs> think about that. You know, I'll have to, I'll have to look. Through. <laughs> Now's the time. Now's the time. Right. Exactly. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, we know what John's other retirement job is, and that is hosting. What in the world of sports with John Danalo? Every week I ask John, my old buddy who is uh, who knows more about sports than anybody that I associate with. Um, I ask him, John, find us a sport that fits with the theme of what in the world. Real sports, sometimes strange, always funny. John always manages to find a great one. And I'm just going to I'm going to turn it over to you and let, let give my voice a rest here. And okay. line up so go ahead, John. Sounds good. Uh, we want to give props to Karen on this one because Karen actually found this sport, um, you know, through her uh, through her travels. And uh, it's a very interesting sport. Um, and you may have heard of it before. Uh, so the sport this week is dog surfing. That's right. Dogs on little surfboards, riding the waves, hanging 20 and calling each other dudes <laughs> we're not sure about the last one but dog surfing and this is where dogs actually ride waves on little surfboards body boards skim boards and windsurf boards uh, began back in the early 1920s and then it gained popularity with the 1930 silent film on the waves in Waikiki, when Philip K. Zanya and his terrier named Nighthawk surfed together on a wooden surfboard. So wow. going back almost, you know, 100 years, uh, wow. in, at least, at least in, in terms of film history, um, in 1944, National Geographic featured a surfing dog named Rusty, and in the 1970s, Dave Chalmers and his surfing terrier mix named Max were featured in several surfing movies and also appeared on the popular TV show, Amazing Animals. Wow. Dogs, dogs 
actually found out how much fun it was. Dog surfing became popular in surfing meccas like Del Mar, California, Imperial Beach, California, and Jupiter Beach, Florida, where dogs learned to hang 10 on surfboards or bodyboards, either alone or with a human on board. Once they moved up to windsurfing and body surfing, it wasn't long before dog surfing competitions popped up everywhere. In these events, judges score a dog's certainty on the board, the size of the wave that they're riding on, and then also how long they ride in terms of ride length. For example, at Imperial Beach, California, the Lowe's Coronado Bay Resort Surf Dog Competition is recognized as the largest dog surfing competition in the United States. The first competition was held in 2006, and by 2011, over 50 dogs participated in events for small dogs, large dogs, and tandem dogs. In San Diego, the San Diego Humane Society holds the prestigious Imperial Beach Dog Surfing Competition, while Huntington Beach, California, hosts the Surf City Surf Dog Competition. The Surfing Dog Championship is held each March in Noosa, Australia, and is known worldwide for its heavy pounding surf. So if a dog is able to surf, you know, there, that dog is really a, is really a star. In, and these photos, in, a yeah. lot of these photos show dogs with uh, on really big waves. So oh, you're yes. right about that. Oh, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So in 2021, the winner of this event was a pug named Pickles. <laughs> Lastly, the World Dog Surfing Championship, ARE, annually is held in Pacifica, North California. Oh, look at this one. Oh, oh that's that, that's for style that's points. Yeah. <laughs> but but of all the dog surfing events, the most unique dog surfing event is tandem surfing, where two or more dogs surf together on one surfboard. Now, believe it or not, in June of 2012, a Guinness World Record was set. When get ready for this, 18 dogs were photographed at the same time on one surfboard. Wow. Think amazing. of it. Here's a picture of it right here. Both well, big and small dogs. Yeah. Well, what is amazing, though, is to get dogs to set that long. Okay. That many yeah. dogs to set yeah. that long in one spot. Um, so Out snipping each other. Well, yeah, right. So in closing, dogs love the water and they love to compete. So it's no surprise dog surfing is a popular sport. There is still time for the Beach Boys to immortalize it with a song called Little Surfer Good Girl. <laughs> Aww. Oh, they are so cute. Yes, they are. It is, Little, it is it's very unique. I mean, it's a unique sport, right? I mean, it really is. Yeah, no kidding. That's uh, wild. I mean, it's uh, and, and the dogs look like they're having fun, according to the photos, at least. Um, and there sure. were quite a quite a few uh, different dogs in those photos. So, uh, 
<clears throat> I I can see where it would be popular, especially in Hawaii and, and other surf meccas. Sure. And the nice thing about it, at least in this world record picture, they all seem to be wearing some sort of a life jacket. So the oh, dogs yeah. so the oh, dogs right, yeah. are safe. Sure, yeah. safety yeah. first. Safety first. Yeah, the owners definitely care about their dog there. So that's a, that's another good one there. Uh, do, do you think a sport like this would catch on in Cleveland, Karen? Uh, do we have any place to really surf in Cleveland? <laughs> good, good point. Good point. I, although some people claim that they're surfing in uh, on Lake Erie. Okay. Um, those days are few and far between. However, John, I don't know if you remember this, but we competed – in while we were in college in a sport very similar to this. Uh, some people call it the Cleveland version of dog surfing, and that would be dog skiing. Do you remember that? Uh, on a snowy no, day. I, I tell you, no, you have to refresh my memory on this one, Paul. I'm not, I'm not, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, we were, uh, it was one of those days when nobody was streaking and we needed something to do. Uh, <laughs> So we decided to try dog skiing, and we found a couple of nice, nice stray dogs near near our college. And uh, you know, we uh, uh, we we found a hill. We found a hill. Uh, John and John and I went off on 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 our own direction in training our dogs. So here's a picture of me with my dog. I um, I really went whole hog. You know, I got the dog his own skis and a hat and a scarf. Um, and I thought, boy, this is great. I'll get all the fraternity brothers will be interested in participating in dog skiing with me. John, on the other hand, John is much smarter than I am. And John didn't waste his time uh, getting the, the the dog all dressed up and all this stuff and ski boots and everything. John instead taught his dog how to pull. Well, I, I lost it here. There it is. John taught his dog how to pull a keg of beer up a hill. Up a snow <laughs> now it comes back to me. There, there you go. go. Everybody followed John and his dog up to the up the hill to the top of the hill where the keg of beer was. They didn't care about me and my skiing dog. Rest of the story. That was the, that was another fun party that we had while in our college days. Yeah, you know, um, glad you brought that to my attention again. I had forgotten about that, Paul. Dog skiing, yeah. <laughs> Some well, things are best left. With the skiing dog, and I, I get away with, uh, you know, this dog can you pull in the keg, which was obviously the prize at the end. Oh, but obviously a much, much more popular sport for a college than uh, dog oh, skiing. Sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, great sport, John, as always. Thank you so much for putting that together. You're very and, welcome, Paul. Uh, Karen. Thanks. Let's uh, let let's see. According to our schedule, that's the end of what in the world of sports, which means it's time for bluff the co-host, everybody's favorite weird news game. That means it's time to pull that down and take a look at us here. Uh, okay, bluff the co-host. It's a simple game. We have three stories similar to the ones I've been telling all afternoon. One big difference: those stories were real. The stories in bluff the co-host may be real. They may be a bluff. It's up to Karen, John, and those of you playing at home to decide, real or bluff. Uh, gambling is allowed, so place your bet. John and Karen, uh, hands on the buzzers, and let's get right to story number one. We see plenty of stories of people complaining about finding the heads of frogs or snakes in their bags of mixed salad greens. But what about people complaining that they didn't get enough snake heads? 
That's what's happening in Bangkok, Thailand, where customers began counting the number of snakeheads in each bag of a popular frozen dinner and realized they didn't have the 12 snakeheads in every meal as advertised. The snake heads are deep fried and fully cooked, and it doesn't make a good adult meal. But lately, the number has been down to eight or nine while the price has gone up. The company has apologized and is now offering coupons for 10% off of dinners made with 10% off of 12 snakes. Okay, so company in Thailand is cheating their, their um, customers by not putting 12 snakes in a dinner that advertises 12 snakes in it, snake heads in every dinner. Real or blah? What do you say, Karen? I don't want to eat snake heads. It sounds absolutely disgusting. Um, but we're talking about Thailand. So I'm going to say it's real. Oh, Karen says it's real. Okay. All right, John, how about you? Yeah, it's obviously very strange. Strange to us as Westerners, obviously, but it must it must be some kind of you know staple for for the people of Thailand. Um, but uh, you know, it's tough all over, and I can see where a company would want to try to get away with that. And even though it's <laughs> false advertising, and you're chipping the customer, so to speak, uh, I could see I I could see a company doing that. So uh, I'm going to say it's real, also. Wow. Okay. So both Karen and John say that, uh, excuse me, a company cutting back on snakeheads in their snakehead dinners is a real story. Let's check with the judges and the judges say that's a bluff. Sorry. That story was, uh, was inspired by a friend of mine from high school um, and, and now a new friend of the show, Jim. Who, who currently lives in Indonesia, and he was on vacation in Thailand, and he was showing pictures of all the stuff that they eat, including giant spiders, deep-fried spiders. And I thought, oh, what's the most disgusting thing I could think of? And that was it. So, wow. uh, all right, well, that means the score is zero to zero, but still time for both John and Karen to uh, pick up the pace and win the game. So hands on the buzzer, let's get to story number two. If you believe the movies, the sexiest accent in the world is the French accent, usually heard through a cloud of cigarette smoke. However, a new survey asked people to listen to accents and pick out the sexiest and ro most romantic, and the winner was not French, nor Spanish, nor Irish, nor even American. It was Italian. That's right, the rolling R's give the Italian language a romantic musical quality, even when it's spoken by a godfather who is about to have you bumped off. <laughs> Could it be that hearing sexy words like pepperoni, mozzarella, and primavera are the real reason why we love pizza and Italian food so much? Mamma mia. <laughs> oh, John, what do you say, real or bluff? Well, you know, this is this is close to my heart, obviously. Okay, very close to my heart. And, uh, you know, I'm going to say it's real. 
God says it's John's hoping it's real. Do you do you think John's Italian? <laughs> well, you know, it's uh yeah, I mean I said it's close to my heart or close to my stomach or whatever, but uh but yeah, I'm gonna okay. say it's uh, real. John said the most romantic accent is Italian. That's real. Karen, how about you? Well, it is a romance language, so you know it sounds real. It's not my favorite accent. I like <laughs> the Australian accent. I think yeah. that's pretty darn neat. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but I am going to agree with John because so many people think of Italian as being romantic. Romantic. Ah, okay. So, and look at John. He's the most <laughs> romantic guy on this. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Joy, John has a full dance card tomorrow on, on Valentine. <laughs> the perfect example. So, let's see. That's Karen and John both say that. Italian is the most romantic language. That's a real story. Let's check with the judges. And the judges say, congratulations. That is it. All right, Karen, way to go. And, All right, and a double good. congratulations to John for having such a sexy voice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no extra points, John, but... Um, that's okay. That's all right. I, I'm just I'm <laughs> glad that we got the victory. That's good. There you go. Okay. All right. Well, let's get... Uh, so, so, scores tied one-to-one. -one. Points are doubled in round number three. Let's get right to it. The hot new television show on Netflix in South Korea is called Dak Gang Jong, which is Korean for sweet, crispy fried chicken pieces or chicken nuggets. No, it's not a cooking show. Dak Gang Jong is about a company president whose daughter mistakes a new machine for a medical device and accidentally turns herself into a chicken nugget. As her father and her boyfriend work together to turn her back into a human, they discover unexpected secrets about the machine, chicken nuggets, hungry Koreans, and themselves. If this comedy catches on in Seoul, Netflix hopes to bring a version to American audiences who love chicken nuggets and will watch anything. Okay, so... Netflix show in South Korea called Chris Chicken Nuggets about a girl who gets turned into a chicken nugget and her father and boyfriend try to turn her back into a human. Real or bluff? Karen? Oh, I need I want this to be a bluff so badly because it just sounds the most ridiculous thing in the world. But I'm gonna say it's real. <laughs> Okay, Karen says it's real. John, how about you? Well, I have some of the same logic that Karen has on this. This is this is really far-fetched. Okay, very far-fetched. But I'm going to say that it's so far-fetched, I pray that it's not real. So are you saying it's real or, or a bluff? I'm saying it's a bluff. I'm oh, saying John says it's a bluff. Okay, I just want to make sure. So John says it's a bluff. Karen says it's real. Although she prays it's a bluff. Right. Check with the judges. The judges say, congratulations, Karen. That is definitely <laughs> oh, a that real is horrible. Yes. Wow. Uh, Netflix in South Korea. I couldn't Wait, believe so, it when so I that saw heroin it. heroin becomes a chicken nugget? A chicken oh, nugget, yeah. What storyline yeah. can you have with that? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, plenty, obviously. They got a full season of it ordered on Netflix. They're they're uh, 
you know, they're hoping it's a big runaway hit, you know, like the, the big, the big bang, the big nugget. I don't know. No, it's, no, it won't be anything like big bang. No. Oh, you have to do it a favor. You have to do a follow up on this in a couple months. Okay. To see oh, what stands, okay. By all means, by all means, we will be closely watching, uh, whatever that Chicken show is nugget. called. Nugget show. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that means we've reached the end of Another episode of What in the World. I want to thank our uh, media mogul co-host and producer, Karen Hale. Uh, thank you, Karen, for everything you do for our show. Thank you for uh, uh, all of the podcasts that you have on nuclearradio.net. And also, Karen, by the way, is uh, the uh, our sponsor at uh, Yes We Can, Yes I Can Coaching with Karen. So by all means, visit that. If you need any kind of coaching help, boy, she is uh, the perfect person for the job. Um, also, I want to thank, uh, as always, my old buddy, John Danalo, uh, for being a good sport, for uh, putting up with all that he puts up with, but also providing us with uh, some great color commentary and insights and, and uh, trivia. So, John, thank you. Oh, thank you, Paul and Karen, for the kind words and uh, looking forward to another great show next week. I'm sure we'll have a, a show that will even be better than this one. Well, it's and I always say that bar isn't very high. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what? John's going to be in Florida, so he might find oh, that's that. Right. Yeah, I think future. he's. Yeah, yeah. John yeah. will be doing a remote. Yeah. New so, we, yeah, we'll be. Uh, well, you know, it's a, a little bit of a, of a change there, but uh, but yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, but tomorrow John will be using his romantic voice on Valentine's Day, uh, <laughs> it, as well as. He'll 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 be using it on the priest at Ash Wednesday services too. I'm afraid. The, uh, <laughs> it's quite a day tomorrow. It's uh it's it's quite, right. it's, it's quite, don't, quite a day. Don't make the ashes messy, Father. The uh... <laughs> all right. Well, I hope everybody. Oh, and by, I also have to thank everybody out there, especially doubly this week. Number one for tuning in to What in the World. Uh, without you, we wouldn't do the show. You're the reason why. We we hope you have as much fun listening as we do putting it together. Uh, that that's the main reason why we do it. I also want to apologize to everybody for for you know my my raspy voice and occasionally coughing in your ear. I'm hoping we'll be I'll be out of this mode of uh, of illness by by next week. The um, well, I'll load up on all the vitamin C and all the other stuff that you're supposed to do. But anyways, thank you so much. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Miriam, uh, I, I, I wanted to do a shout out to her at the beginning. She's a, she's a longtime fan of the show. I always hear from her uh, either before or after the show. So I want to thank you for your support and everybody else who sends a story or just sends us encouragement, likes. We love to see for all of that. So send it to nuclearradio.net. Send it to me on Facebook. On that note, I think I am going to turn my voice off for the rest of the day. And uh, the rest of us can go on to uh, the rest of Fat Tuesday. Have a punch key if you're in Cleveland. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. And I just want to mention the Panther City lacrosse team. They won this past week. They did. On Friday, I will be interviewing one of their teammates who is went to osu so no, no kidding someone from wow somebody ohio. from ohio state yes playing professional lacrosse that's pretty interesting well tune into that you get almost all the details uh at nuclearradio.net take Absolutely. care of that posted for you uh great great 
all kind of great stuff. Ed. Enjoy and, uh, your day, everybody.